Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Harrington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would please, to Luke chapter 21. So we work our way through verses 29 through 38. You know, predictions about the end of the world or apocalyptic events have been made throughout history by various individuals and groups. These predictions often stem from religious, scientific, or cultural beliefs. Some popular end-of-the-world predictions from the past and some ongoing concerns concern the Mayan calendar. Remember that in 2012? Everyone thought that the world was going to destroy because the end of the Mayan calendar? It was a misunderstanding. Some believe the world would end on December 21st, 2012. However, this date was simply the end of a cycle, not an end-of-the-world event. Some of you are old enough to remember the Y2K bug in the year 2000, 1999 in the year 2000. There were concerns raised that computer systems would, fall, would fail excuse me, due to the change in the millennium, causing widespread chaos. However, extensive preparation and updates prevented this major issue. And I'm old enough to remember that. I just remember my computer and everything's going to just go into chaos. You might remember Harold Camping, his rapture prediction in 2011. He was a Christian radio host here in California who predicted the rapture and the judgment day would occur on May 21st, 2011. But since I see that you're here, I'm assuming that it did not happen. The end of the world was going to come on October 21st of 2011, but again, it did not and then some might remember Heaven's Gate cult. That was in 1997. They believed that extraterrestrial spaceship was trailing behind the Hale-Bopp comet and that they needed to shed their human bodies to board it for a higher existence. 39 members died in a mass suicide in hopes of reaching that spaceship. Of course, as we are here today, we know that none of those warnings, none of those predictions came true. In other words, only God knows how and when and why the end will finally come. But let's not take, make any mistake. The end is coming. It is coming. Christ is returning. Now, after reminding the disciples about the birth pangs of the world, of church and world suffering... Jesus declared that Jerusalem itself will be destroyed along with the temple. Both the temple and Jerusalem were the center of the Jewish identity. Jesus' predictions go from bad to worse. I can imagine that his answer shocked them into silence as they considered this devastating news of the end of their whole identity, their whole nation. Yet with this distressing prediction, Jesus offered them a ray of hope, a promise that, would re- that he would return in glory and power to offer retribution to those that have rejected him, but also reward for those who have accepted him. In today's passage, as we come to Luke chapter 29, verse tw- uh, 21, verse 29, 
Jesus closes his warnings and prediction by answering the question, what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? Speaking of the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem, along with the arrival of God's earthly kingdom. So in Luke 21, again, it's here on the monitor, but again, I would encourage you to bring your Bible or some type of instrument that has it on there so you can follow along. He says, and Jesus told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come on leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word, for these warnings and predictions. But Father, you left us with hope the hope that you are returning. And that is our blessed hope, our confident expectation that you will fulfill your promises. Father, we look forward to that day. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. But until then, I pray that we would take your word, we would understand what it has for us. Help us to learn from it, how it's profitable for us today. In your name we pray, amen. Now, Jesus has been warning his disciples that the end of the old order is near. This age has passed away. The temple will be destroyed. It will no longer be a place to gather and worship. Jerusalem will no longer be the capital of an Israel nation. There will be no more sacrifices that are going to take place there. Their object of admiration will be totally destroyed. The disciples' response asked Jesus two questions that we've been trying to answer over the last two, three weeks. When will the temple be destroyed? And what are the signs that they're about to happen? The temple's destruction was considered for them the end of the age as far as Jesus, as God's plan is for us. With the appearance of the Messiah, the coming of the kingdom of God must be near. Israel's eschatology, the study of end times, they taught that the Messiah would return to judge the nations for their reactions for how they treated Israel, to cleanse the land from the Gentile presence, to purge the temple of all evil, to gather the elect, the children of Israel, and to set up his eternal kingdom. So that's what they are expecting. The Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Zechariah, all spoke of the coming judgment of the Messiah. As we saw last week, Jesus gives them insight into God's plan of an unexpected delay. And you need to write that in your notes. There is an unexpected delay that's happening until that time. These are all the beginnings of the birth planes. Jesus taught that the general conditions would be suffering and conflict until that day when Christ comes again. There's a great delay between his first coming and his second coming. The significance of the birth planes is to warn of the judgment to come to all of those who have rejected Christ's kingdom, but also to encourage us, those of us who have embraced the kingdom of God, with Jesus' return. So, just in summary of what we've been learning these last few weeks, when you and I see world conflicts, when we see suffering and man-made disasters and, and natural disasters, when we see sickness and death and illness, this is the birth pains, birth pains of, of, of what we're seeing here. That is what we are living out. When we see persecution of the church, when we see parental rights being taken away, when we see evil seeming to triumph and wickedness just going rampant, this is to remind us 
that Christ is coming to judge the evil, but he's also coming to rescue his people. So with that, as we continue in this, he's given us three words of encouragement about his return and about the days of the birth pains that you and I are living in now. So three words of encouragement. The first one is that you and I need to be encouraged because justice is coming in the form of a person. This is what you and I desire. This is what everyone's trying to do as we look at this political silly season. Everyone's saying, well, I will make right what went wrong. But they can't. They make promises, then they break them. They, they, they cannot do these types of things. In last week, in Luke chapter 21, verse 27, going back, he says, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He warns them about a supernatural, supernatural cosmic upheaval that will bring fear and doubt to all the world. Jesus uses some Old Testament descriptive language that always coincides with God's judgment. But what you and I need to understand is as things get from bad to worse, these cosmic disturbances, these things that have not yet happened, he says these designate the judgment of God. A new world order is coming. It will be earth shattering, but yet we are to be encouraged because this is a sign not of the end of the world, so to speak, but that righteousness is coming. The New Testament uses the same language about God's judgment when he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. So he is encouraging these warnings and predictions are to, to let us know, to know what to expect, not to drive us to fear and doubt as the world, but to be standing strong. So that's kind of what we were looking at last week. Justice is coming. Number two, we're to be encouraged that God's promises are sure. God's promises are sure. Amen? We need to understand it. You and I need that more than anything in life. Look at verses 29 and 32, 32 of Luke 21. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the fig trees. As soon as they come out and leave, you see for yourself and you know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. This is our hope, uh, not a wishful thinking, but a confident expectation that God's promises will be fulfilled. Jesus is given here a lesson from nature. He says fig leaves appear usually about the same time as the fruit or a little bit later. The fruit comes before the leaves. So he says, so when you see the tree coming alive with bud, it signifies the fruit, the leaves, and summer on the way. You and I understand this. That maybe not so much here in the, in, the, in the Orange County. It doesn't work exactly the same way. But you and I, when leaves fall down, if you're in the Midwest or somewhere else where winter comes, and you see the trees begin to budding, you know that spring is on its way, right? You know that summer is coming. So he says, take this example these cosmic disturbances, these birth pains that you're experiencing, they're all signs that God's promises will be fulfilled. This phrase, this generation will not pass until all has taken place there in verse 32, 
Now, it has been a source, though, of questions and different opinions over the years. If we're saying that Jesus is coming soon, and it says that their generation will not pass, what does that mean? Some have said that Christ would come before all the disciples had died away. Now, that makes sense. In other words, this generation will not die. I will come before you die. Some would say this passage is only about the destruction of Jerusalem. In other words, remember the, the Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70. So he's saying the disciples will see that, they will experience it, or the generation will. Or the generation means race. Jesus promised that the Jews would not disappear, but would remain a nation and a people. Or number four, it means only those who are alive when the events begin. I believe that the, the last view is correct in that the birth pains will begin soon after Christ's ascension into heaven. The birth pains began as soon as Christ ascended. The close of that age has begun and now is increasing with intensity. Just as any woman who's gone through uh, birth pains, you know, through pregnancy will tell you that they increase with frequency and intensity. You know that the child is coming. You and I are experiencing that today. And I know that it seems like you and I say, wait a second, I don't see how it can get any worse than this. But yet the Bible tells us that it will. This generation prediction is actually twofold. It's saying those who deceive the destruction of Jerusalem can be assured that it's coming. But also those who experience the cosmic disturbances, the, the things that we see there in Luke. He says this is a sign that Christ is ready to return. So however, no matter how long it may take, you and I must understand that God's promises are secured. You and I must trust in his promises. Jesus promises in verse 33 that heaven and earth will pass away. But what does he say? My words will not. His promises are true. D.A. Carson writes, you'll see this here in the monitor, that the authority and eternal validity of Jesus' words are nothing less the authority and eternal validity of God's word. Jesus' words are God's words. By the way, should I also say this? It shouldn't be need to be said. Some of your Bibles may have the letter in Jesus' words in red. Let me tell you, those words are no more authoritative than Peter's and Paul's and James and John. All of it is God's word. So each and every promise is secure. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, reveals through the Psalms and the prophets here, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. In Isaiah, the grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But what? The word of the God will stand what? Forever. Will stand forever. You and I must be encouraged that even during this, this difficult time, that God's promises to us are secure. And then thirdly, we're to be encouraged that Christ's return is imminent. There's no other events that need to happen. It's imminent. There's no sense in trying to figure it out. The unexpected delay is going to be a long period of time. And right now we're at almost 2,000 years. 
Many have tried to make sense and predict when Christ is going to return. We gave you a few examples, but we see the Jehovah Witnesses have made several ones over the years. In, uh, I, I don't know if you're old enough, but back in 1985, there came out a little booklet that said, 88 and 89 reasons Jesus will come in 1988. 1988 came and he didn't come, so he put out a new one that says it's 1989. A year later, Christ did not come. Or as I said earlier, Harold Camping predicted May 21st, 2011, that Jesus is going to return. You and I cannot know. It's not given to us to know the times and seasons when Christ will return. We're not to sit there and try to figure out, looking in at the newspaper, we call it newspaper eschatology, where you read the newspaper and say, oh, this is happening. Then Christ must be returning. The end of the age is here. No, he tells us to be just encouraged that Christ's return is imminent. And you and I are called to a whole different thing. You might see here, I think I think you have this picture here. This is, a, this is actually made out of wood and someone cutting through it. In November 12 of 1833, there was a meteor shower so intense that it was possible to see up to 100,000 meteors crossing the sky every year. Many at that time believed it was in the end of the world. And to be honest, if I were to see that today, I would maybe consider it. But yet we know that it was not the end of the world. Instead of looking for that time, we're to be encouraged that Christ is coming to rule in righteousness. We're to be encouraged that his return is imminent. We need to be encouraged that his word, his promises are sure. Instead of having fear, instead of having doubt, you and I are called to a different standard. And that's where I want to spend our time this morning. We are called to adopt a different perspective. Yes, we can see the, the leaves of the tree and they, they look like they're starting to grow. And we say, well, the time must be near. And yes, it is near. Again, as I've said over the last few weeks, his return is nearer now than it was just 15 minutes ago. But you and I have to ask the question, during this long, great delay, how are we to live? What is expected to us of us? Yes, we're, we're to be encouraged, but how should we then live? So with that, let's look at Luke chapter 21, and let's look at verse 34. Jesus then says to his disciples, but watch yourself lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that that day, speaking of Christ's return, come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So as you and I look here, he gives us several commands to the disciples and to us by extension how we're to live in this, what I'm calling the great delay. So number one, very simple, we need to watch ourselves. We need to watch yourself. This is a call or a command of self-awareness. We are to be self-aware. Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. Here on the monitor here in 2 Corinthians, Paul warns the church of Corinthians. He says, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize the self 
that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test, I hope you will find out that you have not failed that test. You and I need to recognize that there are too many people that are not self-aware of their own standing before God. They believe that they're saved. They believe that life is good. They've said a prayer. Maybe they've been baptized. They've gone to a church their whole lives. The Lord will say, Lord, I never knew you. They'll say, Lord, Lord, but I cast out demons. I healed. I did all these things in your name. And what's interesting, as I pointed out before on that passage, is Jesus then doesn't argue with them. He says, no, you didn't. He doesn't say, no, you didn't heal. No, you didn't cast out demons. He says, okay, but I still didn't know you. In other words, that's telling me that there will be pastors and preachers and deacons and elders themselves who think they know God, but they do not. There is no self-awareness. He says, watch yourself. He warns them of not being weighed down. That means to be passive, to become heavy, burdened by sin. It's someone, uh, this is a good example. We went uh, to the, um, uh, we went hiking uh, not last, uh, last Saturday, the Saturday before. And so we bring all this stuff. The, the grandkids are with us and we're going and they have all their things. But as you're following Dawn's pictorial on Facebook of, of, the, of the walk, we start with the beginning. Everything's going well. But by the end of the walk, I, have, I am carrying everything that everybody brought. I have my backpack. I have all the binoculars. I have the sticks. I have the water bottles. I have all this thing. And all of a sudden it's like, how did that happen? Well, on my walk, I was weighed down. I was not having anything watchful. They would say, Bob, can you hold this for a moment? They didn't say that the moment was an unexpected great delay to when they would pick it back up. So here I am by the end of the thing. I'm just like, what in the world's happened? You know, you and I are like that, though. We're like Christians. We can profess Christ. But we're wondering, why is my life so heavy? Why am I struggling with depression, worry? What's going on with my life? Why am I so busy at work? We're weighed down by not being able to say no or just not even realizing all that we take on our plate. And all of a sudden we're weighed down. The author of Hebrews tells us to lay aside every weight and sin which so clings closely or clings so closely to us. We're not examining ourselves. We're not testing ourselves. Can I carry that type of weight? The next one is dissipation. That's a giddiness and headache caused by drinking to excess. It's interesting that he uses that word. This is a call to be sober-minded, not allowing ourselves to be impaired mentally through intoxication. Now, this may be drinking, this may be alcohol, it may be weed, it may be whatever now. All of everything is legal, right? Uh, California is moving through California uh, is uh, the ability to buy uh, mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms. They're going to make that legal. That's their next step. It says, don't be so giddy. You're to the point that you're not even sober. You don't even realize what's going on. You're all happy and life is good, but you're not examining yourself. You're not ready. Then drunkenness, indulgence in drinking. Throughout the scripture, God warns about the dangers of drinking to excess and the folly of finding happiness or comfort outside the spirit. We use really these types of things as coping mechanisms to deal with our pain, right? All sorts of these things. 
says, no, you need to be watchful. You need to be, you need to be self-aware. You need to understand what's going on. And then he says, the cares of this life. You and I need to crowd out all these things that, that crowd out our devotion to God. There's all these things in our life. I can't go to small groups. I need to binge watch, binge watch this. This is, this, I got so many episodes of this. I can't do this. I can't do that because of this. Several years ago, Landon took us through the parable of the soils, did a great job on it. This echoes those words where Jesus taught that seed that fell among the thorns, they are those that hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. They're unaware of what is happening. And let me tell you, there are many people that happen. They, they profess Christ. They're excited. They're on fire. But before you know it, life gets so busy, they realize that they love the things of the world more than things of Christ, and then they, you just don't see them any longer. We suffer from that here as well. The cares of this world are more important to them than the things of Christ. If we are not careful, we can be caught in a trap or a snare. That word snare there is actually the same word, or the word trap there is the same word that's used in Greek for the Trojan horse. Remember, you remember the story of the Trojan horse? where the, the Trojan army or the city of Troy built this gigantic horse, put their soldiers in it. They were at war with, uh, uh, was it Greece? Well, it was one of the cities of Greeks, right? They took it there and they said, here's our offer of peace. Not being self-aware, they said, thank you. And they pull the horse in. And then what do they do? They go on celebrating. They're not watching. They don't, they don't look a gift horse in the mouth, so to speak. And as they're drunk and sleeping and all these things, the army comes out of the horse and slaughters the city. That's the same word here. You and I need to remember that these things, Satan is like a, a lion. He's trying to, to, to trap us. Both Jesus and Paul warn that Jesus' return will come like a thief in the night, as we read earlier. We must be self-aware. You and I need to cry out with King David, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way. Lead me into the way everlasting. Here's a great graphic that just gets you. Just take that, put that as, a, as, a, as something on your phone or as a, on, your, on your forehead if you need it so you see it in the mirror. You and I need to be watchful, self-aware. The second one is to stay awake at all times. So he says, not only be watchful, but he says, be awake at all times. Stay awake. The first one was a command of self-awareness. This is a command for self-discipline. This warning brings to mind the soldier who is on night duty. He's the guard. He cannot allow himself to fall asleep or to get drowsy. If he does, he opens up the opportunity for Satan to attack. And Ephesians says, be angry and do not sin. sin do not let sun go, uh, the sun go down on your wrath or on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. He is seeking. You can see it here on the monitor as you look at 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Be firm in your faith. And you and I, the only way that we can do that is through self-discipline, disciplining ourselves, staying awake. 
There's a difference between motivation and self-discipline. You and I need to acquire the skill of spiritual self-discipline. None of us should be caught sleeping as in the people of days of Noah. You remember the story of Noah? The world was so wicked that he decided to destroy it, but he was going to save Noah and his family. Jesus warns of this. We saw this several weeks, uh, probably last, uh, last year. This is just in the days of Noah, so will the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving to marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven, destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. You see, for us, that unexpected great delay has lulled us into sleep or into a mode of drowsiness. There is no self-discipline. You and I really, I'm going to say this, and I believe it's true, because I believe it's true of myself. We really don't believe that Jesus can come at any minute. Our life shows that. Our priorities show that. According to Slate Magazine, this was several years ago, they wrote in one article where it says, all over the world, scientists are experimenting on soldiers to keep them awake beyond the limits of normal endurance. Researchers are engineering and militaries are deploying chemically enhanced troops. Of all the uh, superpowers we've imagined, the one that has turned out to be the most attainable so attainable, we're already using it, is the ability to go without sleep. Of course, if you're a student of history, you know that the U.S. government gave our soldiers during World War I and World War II, they gave them, uh, uh, I can't even say the word, medicine uh, speed to keep them awake. Thank you. Someone knows it. I won't ask how you know that, but we just assume. (laughs) But that's what they gave them. And so many of them came back addicted because they want soldiers who are alert to stay awake in the same way. God has given us encouragement to stay awake. Preparation and readiness is important in time of war and peace, not just for the military, but also in the Christian life. And so I want to share with you, you and I, we need to live our lives as Christ has called us to, not in drunkenness, not with the cares of the world, Not in sexual immorality, not in fornication, not in those things. God has called us to live a life that is pleasing to him. And then thirdly, is praying for strength. He calls us to pray for strength. This now is a command of self-examination. Okay? Self-awareness, self-discipline, now self-examination. There will be no escaping this worldwide event, he has already told us. We are to humble, to be humble, recognizing that you and I cannot live that Christian life on our own. You and I cannot please God on our own. We are to pray for the strength to endure and to be faithful in our mission, to follow in our quest. I love the Psalms that the Israelites used to sing while traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's found in Psalms 121, 
which we see, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen? Where is your strength coming from? You might be struggling during this great delay because your strength is in yourself. You may say, no, my strength is in my family. Well, that's great and good, but yet even then that's misplaced. You and I need to pray for strength to endure. We need to pray for courage and boldness. Be assured Jesus is returning to judge the living and the dead according to our works. Now, after answering these questions, so now that we see that we're to be encouraged, we see the three things that you and I are to do during this great delay. We need to be self-aware, we need to be self-disciplined, and we need self-examination. You and I come now to Luke chapter 21, where Jesus, after answering these questions, Luke makes an editorial note where he says, And every day Jesus was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olive in the morning, and all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. This is kind of a coda. This is kind of a conclusion. What we find here is Jesus continues to teach in the temple during the day, despite knowing that the religious leaders are plotting against him. In the evening, he travels to the Mount of Olives to sleep. For the next two mornings, Jesus continues to enter into the temple to teach and to preach about the kingdom of God. Even the knowledge of his upcoming betrayal, torture, and death cannot keep Jesus from proclaiming the good news of salvation. That's the example for you and I. No matter what's happening to this world, you and I are called to fulfill our mission. You and I are on a quest, and we need to be about God's business. Now, one might wonder, though, why does God not make known Christ's return? Wouldn't it be easier if Christ said, hey, I am coming on, I don't even know what the date today, October 1st, no, October, October 7th, I got a golf date on October 1st, so he comes October 2nd. 2023. Well, to be honest, I can't answer that question why he does not tell us in advance. Does God know? Yes, he knows exactly that day and that hour. However, probably most likely, it would be a hindrance to our spiritual growth and command to be on guard because we would just live our lives waiting until that moment. If we knew exactly when Jesus would come, we would not be on guard, but slack and distracted. It would also take away the urgency that God wants us to have in our quest and mission to make disciples among nations. There's an urgency. He could be coming at any moment. Scriptures do tell us, though, that God is patient, using this great delay to call people to himself and to sanctify the believer. Take your Bibles and please turn to 2 Peter, if you would. 2 Peter chapter 3. I can give you one biblical answer of why Christ has not come yet. This passage in Luke gives us the precept, the principle, and person model that we see so often in Scripture. God gives us a precept to follow. He gives us a principle behind it to, uh, behind it to reveal one more of his character. So first, we see the principle or the precept. The precept for you and I is to stay awake. That's the precept. The command is stay awake. 
the why, the principle, is that Christ can return at any time. And so again, when we say, why should I stay awake? The why, the principle, is because Christ can return. Do not be caught unawares. Do not be caught asleep. Now the reason that we see now is the person, and this is always what we see through Scripture, is that the person shows the patience and mercy of God, the very character of God. Now going to 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes his second letter about the delay in Christ's return. Look at verse 8 of 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. So time does not matter to a timeless God. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. We can be sure that he will fulfill them as some count slowness. In other words, he's not counting the same way. But here's the key, is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So what are you and I doing today? Why are we still here? Why is Christ delaying another moment? Because he's calling many to repentance. If you do not know Christ, would you come today? Do not delay. He can come at any moment. Are you ready to stand before the creator of the universe, the almighty God? Are you ready to give account when he says, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer? The Bible says he knows the motivation of our hearts. You know, we can lie to other people. We can lie to ourselves. But we cannot lie to God. I'd call you to repent. That means to change your mind, to change your behavior, and put your trust, your confident trust, in the person of God. Knowing that he will forgive you if you call out to him. Let me give you a summary here. I believe it's on the monitor. Jesus' return will be a worldwide event. All the world will see it. It will be visible and noticeable. I don't know how these things will be, but it will be. It'll be bodily and personally, and it's going to have the power to finalize his kingdom. This is real. He is coming again. And when he comes, there are no more any second chances. That phrase didn't come out correctly. There's no second chances. Let's just say that. Thomas Schreiner notes that the key theme here is that the coming of the Lord is a call for vigilance and perseverance. That is what he requires of you during this great delay. Vigilance and perseverance. That's the call that I would give you this morning. Dr. John MacArthur writes that when Christ comes, when he returns, he will redeem the elect, restore the devastated earth, and establish his rule on earth. Remember, heaven is not some ethereal place, but it's here on terra forma, the kingdom of God. Jerusalem itself will come down. He will be our God. Revelation says it so perfectly. So therefore, you and I need to stay awake. We need to be watchful. We need to be praying for strength. For we do not know what day our Lord will return. Please do not find yourself unprepared. 
We are about to, or we are to be about God's business. We looked at that in our ACC. We were created for his, by his workmanship for good works. Before Christ ascended, his orders were simple. And they are as true today as they were 2,000 years ago. When they asked him in Acts chapter 1, the disciples said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this the time? Exactly. He says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. How did you know? Are you reading my notes? You're so good. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I'll never get past that now. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And we said these things, he ascended up in a cloud, into the clouds. And an angel said, why are you looking? In the same way he went up, he will return. Be alert, be ready, be praying. Christ is coming. Let me end with this as the worship team makes its way up. Randy, please make your way up as well. I want you to pause to consider these questions, this passage. Are you awake? Are you alert? Are you sober-minded? Are you humbled? Are you too ready to meet the judge of all things? Is your life marked with an awareness that Christ is coming soon? How are your life choices should be different knowing this? There's decisions some of you need to make. Maybe it's your living situation. Maybe it's your work situation. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something that you need to put off. Maybe it's something you need to put on. But I want you to be ready. Are you ready for Christ's return? As we close with Revelation 22.20 on this, on this monitor, John, getting a vision, says, He who testifies these things says, Surely I'm coming quickly. Amen. And would you read this in with me? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. May he find us ready when he returns. Randy, would you come and close us in prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.